Thank you, Tony. Morning, friends. Let me invite you to open your copy of God's Word to John chapter 1. Our passage today will be verses 6 through 13. We've uh, paused from our study of uh, Mark's Gospel to uh, study the prologue of John's Gospel uh, during this Advent season. Uh, so far, we've seen that Jesus Christ is the eternal Word. Saw that in verses 1 through 3. Last Sunday morning, we saw that he was the life-giving Word. And uh, today, we'll see that he, in particular, is the Word of light. So our, our verses will be 6 through 13. I'm going to read 1 through 3 with this, just so you can see the context of uh, what we're studying in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is God's inerrant and authoritative word. And let's ask his blessing and help as we uh, study these verses before us this morning. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, Christ, our Savior, and the fact that we can celebrate his birth. Uh, thank you that he brought light to the dark world that we live in. Give us wisdom and understanding as we study these verses. Uh, Jesus, I pray that your spirit would open our eyes to see and hear truth. I pray you'd strengthen me, my heart, mind, and soul, that I can preach clearly your word today. We entrust ourselves to you. Please transform us by your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the little flashlight I use to walk my dog every morning. Uh, it's quite dark when I take her out. Today it was 5 a.m. Um, and uh, I use this flashlight not really to see where I'm going. I can see where I'm going even, even uh, just by the street lights. I don't use this flashlight for my dog. My dog can't see anyway. Uh, so it's not doing her any good. I, I use this flashlight so that those hurrying to work can see me. Uh, they're sometimes in quite a hurry, so I make sure I have this on or wear a bright color jacket 
Uh, the only downside of this little flashlight, it's got a great beam. I don't know if you can see that. Great strong beam, but it eats batteries like crazy. And I, I know, I see some of you wincing in the back. You know, that's not really a flashlight, Pastor Rob. And perhaps you're thinking something more along the lines of this, which is what I would call a five cell. And this is definitely a more manly flashlight. It can double as a, as a weapon, no doubt. But still, some of you, you know, Pastor Rob, go big or go home. So then there's this. And wow, this is going big. And I dare not shine it in your direction for fear of blinding uh, some or uh, some of you. So even that, even what some call a Q-beam, uh, which is 1999 on Amazon, uh, it's nothing compared to the light that we find in our passage today. Uh, verse 9 says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And by that, uh, John means that Jesus is the real light, the genuine light. You could even say the ultimate light. So despite warnings from OSHA about looking directly into the beam, that's exactly what I'm going to encourage us to do, to look directly at the light today. Um, and when we do this, uh, we will see uh, John describe uh, Christ uh, using three features. Uh, he mentions three features about this ultimate light, about Jesus, the word of light. So uh, the first feature of this light that John mentions uh, is the witness to the light. John the Baptist was commissioned by God to give testimony about this ultimate light. And he mentions three things uh, about uh, this witness. Uh, first, John describes the commission of this witness. Look at verse 6 again in your Bible. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, it's a little tricky because this is the gospel of John, and he's talking about John. I'll try to keep them distinct for you. The, whose name was John, that's a reference to John the Baptist. And that he was sent by God. That word sent is the word apostello. And that's where we get our English word apostle from. Uh, an apostle is a, a commissioned, designated, authoritative representative. Uh, an apostle is sent out by a king or someone of great authority, and the one sent is given the job of declaring his message uh, to the village, to uh, the country, or, or whatever. This is what the 12 apostles did. Jesus sent them out as his official representatives, and this is what John the Baptist did, uh, that he was sent out by God to uh, bear witness to this ultimate light that was coming into the world. So this witness, we see, first of all, his commission by God to bear witness. The second thing we see about this witness, John the Baptist, is his testimony. That is what he said. John's role was to give testimony 
to this ultimate light about this true and perfect light that was coming into the world. Look now at verse 7. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Uh, John, writing this, compares the role of John the Baptist to a witness in the courtroom. Uh, an attorney uh, calls witnesses during a trial to, uh, to give testimony about whether something was true or not, uh, to confirm that something happened or didn't happen, to affirm what someone heard or what someone saw happen. And, and excuse me, this was John's role, to give testimonies, very legal sense to it. Uh, very authoritative and, and very, uh, uh, very heavy. This is not a light thing. Um, he is, after all, commissioned by God to affirm who Jesus was, to affirm that Jesus was the Messiah, to affirm that Jesus was God's anointed king, to affirm that Jesus was the ultimate light. John wasn't the only witness called to the stand. Uh, in addition to John the Baptist, there were, there were seven other witnesses who gave testimony about Christ and who he was. Uh, let me uh, put these up for you. John the Baptist, of course, the first. The second, Jesus himself. He bore witness about himself. He said, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and know where I am going. Uh, the third witness was God the Father. Uh, John 8 says, the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Uh, the fourth was the miracles Jesus performed. They bore witness to his identity. It says in John 10, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Then there's the testimony of the Old Testament scriptures, uh, prophecies about Christ that would bear witness to his identity, several of which we read at this time of year. Uh, Jesus said in John 5, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Uh, the sixth one is the various people who came in contact with Christ, one of which was a woman, uh, a Samaritan woman in the town of Sychar. Uh, she gave testimony about Christ. She bore witness to Christ, saying, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Uh, seventh, there was the 12 uh, disciples or apostles uh, Jesus said in John 15, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Finally, and lastly, at least as far as the book of John uh, is concerned, uh, the Holy Spirit bore witness to Christ. Uh, in fact, it says in John 15, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So uh, the testimony 
affirming the identity of Jesus, affirming that Jesus was who he said he was, is really quite overwhelming. I'm sure many of you would give testimony as well uh, because you've experienced for yourself the way that Jesus has transformed your life. And, and like that woman of Samaria from the town of Sychar, you too would bear witness about what Christ has done to transform you. So John joins this group of eight witnesses, and that's just in the Gospel of John, uh, and bears testimony as if he was in a courtroom. He gives evidence that Jesus, this Jesus, is the ultimate light, the authentic light, the true light. Uh, lastly, we come to see his position. And by that I mean his position in relationship to Christ. Uh, John was not the ultimate light, but only a witness. And look at verse 8 in your Bible now. It says, He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And John was careful uh, throughout the Gospels to testify that he was not the Christ, that he was not the one. Uh, many people were confused about that. Some of John's followers apparently believed that John the Baptist was the Messiah. Uh, the Pharisees and Jewish leaders were confused about who John was. Uh, tell us who you are. Uh, uh, so we see things like this uh, in Mark 1-7. To the crowds that came to hear him, John the Baptist said, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. John acting just like uh, we hoped he would, uh, deflecting all attention off of himself, deflecting all attention to the coming one, uh, who was Christ. He said this to those Jewish leaders who were questioning his identity. It says, and this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. His disciples were upset that Jesus was getting more disciples than he was. And to them, John said, he must increase, but I must decrease. So you see John continually and emphatically denying that he was the light. He was only a witness to the light. Now, by contrast, notice Jesus' position uh, in the beginning of verse, nine, the, uh, verse 9. The true light, the perfect light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Uh, Jesus refers to John as a lamp compared to his light. John was like a, a camping lantern that you might take with you on your weekend camping trip. But Jesus was far more than that. He was the true light. Not that John was false, uh, but by this true light, uh, he meant that Jesus was the perfect light compared to John's imperfect light. Jesus was the authentic light compared to John the Baptist's shadowy light. John MacArthur says this, Christ is the perfect light in whose radiance 
All other lights seem dim. Christ was this kind of light, the true light, the ultimate light. And as the true and authentic and ultimate light, notice what Jesus does in verse 9. It says the true light gives light to everyone or which enlightens everyone as another version says. What's that talking about? Last week we said that light referred to Christ and the good news about his payment for sin on the cross. And this phrase, gives light to everyone, refers to the proclamation of the good news to all nations, to everyone who was in front of him. Uh, Paul mentions this proclamation in Titus. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. It's announced uh, to all. It's proclaimed to all. We don't restrict our proclamation of, of the good news of Christ to anyone. We, we indiscriminately scatter the good news to anyone who will hear us. This light, this ultimate light, shines on and exposes the sin of every human, calling them to turn away from their sin and to put their faith in Christ. And you can imagine that that was not welcomed by most people in his day. So the third thing we'd see about this witness to the light is uh, his testimony. Um, so describing this ultimate light, the first feature John tells us about is the witness to the light. Uh, the lamp that pointed to the light that was coming. Uh, John the Baptist, uh, we saw he was commissioned by God to give testimony and bear witness uh, to the true light coming into the world. So that's the first feature of the ultimate light. There's a testimony, there's a witness to the ultimate light. Second feature that John brings up in his description of this light is the rejection of the light. Excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself there. Jesus, the ultimate light, was rejected by the world and rejected by his own people. Let me point out three things here as well. The first thing I want you to see is he was rejected by the world. Uh, we find this in verse 10. Look what it says there. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, Yet the world did not know him. Uh, as John stated up in verse 3 that I read to you moments ago, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Yet when Christ entered the world, the world did not recognize him as their creator. They did not know him. Know him refers to more than just intellectual knowledge of someone. Know him is the language of relationship, personal relationship, the way that you would know a friend. The people in the world that Jesus came to did not come to know him as you would come to know a friend. They did not come to know Jesus intimately. They didn't enter a right relationship with him. 
So first, it's the world who does not, uh, who rejects Christ, does not come to know him. And then further, John tells us that he's rejected, secondly, by his own people. Uh, the Jewish nation rejected him. And this uh, comes in verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. His own people being the Jewish nation. He, he came home to those who should have known who he was. Uh, to to do those who would recognize him. To those who had received prophecies about him. Uh, of the coming Messiah. To those who had received prophecies of, of the light dawning. Uh, we read this last week in Isaiah 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them uh, has light shone. Uh, that's uh, referring specifically to the sections of northern Israel, Galilee, if you would, where Jesus' ministry uh, began and where he ministered, uh, in the book of Mark at least, uh, primarily to the region of Galilee in the first stage of his ministry. And those people ought to have known him. His hometown was just a few miles away. And they ought to have known who he was from Old Testament prophecy. And they ought to have received him. But they didn't. Verse 9 says his own people did not receive him. Or uh, rather, um, yeah, verse 11, his own people did not receive him. Um, what does that mean? It means the majority of his own people did not welcome him. The majority of his own people did not accept what he said. They did not accept his teaching. The majority of his own people did not recognize him as the Messiah. They rejected all that. And so um, the light was uh, rejected by his own people. I'm sorry, only two things here. I said three. Uh, we see the rejection of the light. Jesus is rejected by the world at large and then by his own people in particular. Well, John goes on in his description of, of the ultimate light and he names a third feature of it uh, next. And the third feature of the ultimate light is the reception of the light. Seeing the witness to the light, the rejection of the light, and now the reception of the light. Uh, those who accepted Jesus' claims became children of God. Two things I want you to see here. Uh, there are those who believed. Um, the rejection of the light was not universal. Not everyone rejected Jesus because verse 12 says this but to all who did receive him but to all who did receive him um, what does that mean again that means to welcome him and the next phrase helps explain it who believed in his name uh, his name refers to all that he was all that he represented himself as, all that he claimed to be. 
those who received him were those who accepted his claims to be the Messiah, who accepted the things he taught, who accepted what he said about himself, that he was Israel's king, Israel's Messiah. This, uh, this man uh, explains it a little bit. To believe in a person's name is to believe in the person because the name stands for the person. Receiving him involved accepting the teaching and revelation of God he brought. So not everyone rejected the light. There were some who believed. Some received the ultimate light by accepting what he said and believing that he was the Son of God. And notice second, the benefit to those who received him, all who welcomed him, and all who believed his claims were given the right, were granted the privilege, were given the honor of becoming children of God. Look again at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Those who received the things he said and what he claimed to be, they were, uh, they were reborn. Uh, they were born from above, as we heard Jesus tell Nicodemus. They were born anew. Uh, they had received the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit described in Titus 3. They had received... Uh, what uh, Charles Wesley described in Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's amazing that the Christmas song we hear in Target openly mentions the new birth, openly mentions regeneration, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth is what Wesley was talking about. This new birth they were born anew. They were born again. They were not any longer children of wrath. They were children of God. And even though they were the ones who received him, and even though they were the ones who believed in his name, look at the source of this new birth, according to verse 13. Just give it a fair reading and look at what verse 13 says. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. What do all those things mean? It means that the new birth that we are given that enables us to turn away from sin and believe the claims of Christ didn't have a human origin. It says first, we were not born of blood. We didn't receive this new birth. We didn't become children of God because of our racial or ethnic heritage. And the Jews would have been offended by this because their racial and ethnic heritage was everything to them. They believe themselves privileged because of their racial and ethnic heritage. But the Lord says, your ancestry had nothing to do with your new birth. And I might protest, hey, I'm a pastor's kid. Are you sure? 
And some of you are saying, well, especially if you're a pastor's kid. (laughs) Your birth had nothing to do with your new birth. And he goes on, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Uh, That refers to our human condition affected by the fall. Uh, That refers to normal human desire. Uh, Something uh, built into, I would say, every human. Our new birth into God's family was not the result of uh, an innate human desire to reproduce. It did not come from your nature. Can I say that again? It did not come from your nature. We were not born of the will of the flesh. And further, the third thing he says, uh, we were not born of the will of man. Or, in other words, we were not born of a husband's decision. Unlike a husband who decides that he wants a son, we are not given new birth just because we decide to be reborn. I want you to see that stacking these three options on top of each other like this, John is stressing to us that becoming God's children, being born from above, uh, receiving this new birth, does not find its origin in any human decision. On the contrary, what does John say at the end of verse 13? He says, but of God. Uh, The verb that goes with that uh, comes at the beginning. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. What does it mean that we were born of God? It means that becoming children of God was not a result of our decision, although that's what it feels like to us. Our becoming children of God was entirely his decision. We were in darkness, remember? Uh, We were walking in darkness and were by nature children of wrath, not children of God. And We were not in darkness because we were simply forced into the darkness or just by chance were stuck there. We were in the darkness because we liked it. We preferred it. John says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. While we were in that state, friend, while you and I were in that state, the Spirit gave us new life. And Paul writes about this in Ephesians He describes our dead condition in verses 1 through 3. And when he gets to verse 4, he says, But God, it is one of the biggest 
but gods in the entire Bible. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, after we had uh, cleaned ourselves up a little bit, after we had gone ahead and prayed the sinner's prayer, after we had been going to church for 10 weeks in a row, Just, just look at the words. And the words mean what the words say. I hope that's clear. It's not in code. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Look, it was not your decision to begin with. You didn't have it in you. I didn't have it in me. He uh, gave us new life. He gave us new eyes that we could see the truth of his word. He gave us new ears to hear his truth. He gave us a new desire and will so that we could turn from sin and put our faith in the atoning death of Christ. And unless he had done that, we would not have turned from the darkness. It was, again, not our decision to begin with. We didn't have it in us. But God, in his great love, with which he loved us, made us alive in Christ. Listen to Peter say it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his, look at that, great mercy. He has caused us to be born again. It's not in code. The words mean what they say. He caused us to be born again. We have this wonderful privilege of being called children of God, not because of any decision we made. I mean, we did put our faith in Christ. We did uh, decide to follow him. But it didn't ultimately begin with us. It didn't start with us. It started with the work of God in our hearts to give us a new heart, give us a new birth, to give us regeneration. All those who welcomed him and believed his claims were given this honor of becoming God's children. This is the true light. This is the light that's come into the world. This is the light we celebrate at Christmas. That Jesus, the light of the world, has come. The true light. The authentic light. The ultimate light. What is this ultimate light like? John's described three features for us. He began by describing the witness to the light, who was John the Baptist. 
And then he described the rejection of the light uh, from the world, from his own people. And then third, he described the reception of the light. Some believed and were uh, given the right to be called children of God, those who were born of God. So I want to push on to make some applications here. Friend, like John the Baptist, you and I are also called to bear witness, to give testimony. This is the perfect time of year to do it. This is the time of year when your neighbor might naturally expect you to do something nice for them, like bring them a box of cookies or whatever, I don't know. Uh, stick a little Gospel of John in with the cookies. Put it in the bottom so they clean out the cookies and they discover something hidden underneath. I don't know. Uh, put, a, put a tract, a gospel tract. Wait, did you say the words gospel tract? What are you, from 1960? Yes. I am from 1960, as a matter of fact. It was this quirky thing. My father was very fond of doing that. He would leave uh, a gospel, you know, a little, and there are some that are really well done. You know, there's some that are just make you cringe. And don't leave those for your waitress. <laughs> find a good one, and I can help you find a good one. And just leave that little thing laying around indiscriminately. And not only that, you might actually consider telling someone using the words of your mouth. I mean, that is what testimony is all about. Uh, telling people what Christ has done for you. So like John the Baptist, yes, we're also called to bear witness to the light. And secondly, a second application. And, and we get so distracted from this one by the hoopla. And that is rejoice that Christ shined his light on you. If you are his child, you are not just weak and sick, you are dead. Like Marley, deader than a doornail. Or is it doorknob? I forget. You were dead. <laughs> Much deader than that. But praise God that through time, Christ shined his light, the light of the gospel on you. And he, he illumined your sin. And you saw it for what it was. And he gave you sight to see uh, the truth in his word. And he gave you a new heart to believe. Now I can't turn it off. And that is a reason to rejoice this Christmas. Because the light came. We live in a dark world. And this dark world needs to hear about the light. And the dark world needs to hear the good news about Christ and his payment for sin. Um, 
And that is the light that we shine. We are not the true light. We're not the ultimate light. Like John the Baptist, we're, we're little lanterns. We're, we're little flashlights uh, that uh, reflect the true light of Jesus and his payment for sin on behalf of sinners. Let me pray for us as we conclude. We're grateful for what, I am grateful for what this passage describes, Heavenly Father. But it is a tall drink of water, and I pray that you would press home the truth of this uh, portion and give us understanding. Uh, may we, like John the Baptist, uh, give testimony bear witness, especially around the Christmas season of the true light, uh, that we would tell people about Christ and his payment for sins on behalf of sinners. And Jesus, I pray that those of us who are children, your children, uh, who have the privilege of being called your children, would rejoice that the light has shined on us, that you shined your gospel on us, that you opened our hearts to believe. Heavenly Father, enable us to rejoice in really why your son came uh, to bring his light to the world. Strengthen us for this. We need your indwelling spirit to work this in us, Father. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.